beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning's sermon is about the task that the Lord has given parents in bringing up their children in the fear of his name. Yet this sermon is not only for parents. It very much relates to our children and to our young people. It's important for you to understand why your parents talk with you and try to teach you. They're not just preaching blah, blah stuff. Your dad and mom have been given a charge by God to train you in his ways. This sermon has implications for the grandparents among us. Have you and are you building a relationship with your grandchildren or perhaps even your great-grandchildren? Are you in a situation to be a positive influence in their lives? Sermon even applies to those who don't have children. For together, as a faith community, we have a responsibility to look out for and encourage the children and the young people in our midst. One of the central roles that parents have is to teach their children to know the Lord and His mighty deeds. It's to train them to love the Lord and to lead God-pleasing lives. It's something that we as parents promise we will do when we answer questions at our children's baptism. How well do you think that you're fulfilling this task, parents? Do you talk with your children about God? Or do you mostly leave that for the church and for the school to do? Are you actively involved in your children's lives? Do you have open communication with them? Would they come to you if they were facing struggles or temptations in their lives? Do you model the Christian life for your children, your teens, and your young adults? You know the expression, monkey see as monkey do. It's not good if there are jarring inconsistencies between what you tell your children they should do and what you actually do. Teaching our children involves more than just talking with them and telling them about how they should walk with God. We need to be good examples of what it looks like to live the Christian life for our children and for our young people. Godly instruction involves both talking and doing. I need to ask a few more questions. Parents, are you intentional about your parenting task? Or do you just react as different circumstances arise? I think that living in today's Western culture, we face some unique challenges in our task as parents. One is that we have made ourselves incredibly busy. There are so many things that compete for our time. Many of them are good things in and of themselves. But do we make time for training our children to walk in the Lord's ways? 
Do we put effort into our calling to instruct and discipline our children so they may learn to know Jesus Christ and follow him? And in connection with this question, I want to ask you this. How well do you control the amount of time you and your kids spend behind various screens? We have TVs with an endless supply of sitcoms, movies, sports programming, and the like. We have computers and laptops and cell phones through which we browse the internet, play games, text, and connect on social media. Our screens can be a great blessing. They can inform us when we're researching something. They can connect us with family and friends far away. But they can also cause us to lose touch with real life. They can get in the way of having real conversations, of building personal relationships. This morning we're going to address these things by examining what the Lord teaches us in Proverbs 22, verse 6. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Train a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We'll consider the Lord's command and the Lord's promise. Our text begins with a command. Through Solomon, the Holy Spirit says, train a child in the way he should go. The Hebrew uses a special word which our text translates train. It's used three other times in the Bible. In each of these cases, it refers to dedicating a house or a temple. For example, in 1 Kings 8, verse 63, it speaks about Solomon offered 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep as peace offerings to the Lord. And that so the king and the people dedicated the house of the Lord. To dedicate means to devote something to a specific purpose. The temple was dedicated to God. Its purpose was to allow the Israelites to come together to meet God and worship Him. And thus our text literally says, dedicate a child in the way in which he should go. There's a calling for parents to devote or to commit their children to a specific pathway in life. Practically speaking, it's understandable that the English translations use the word train. But it doesn't convey the whole sense of what our text is saying. Our text calls for parents to dedicate their children to the Lord's service. It speaks of an intentional a sustained shepherding of our children's hearts so that they may grow up walking in the Lord's ways. Before we go any further, we should ask, why is it that we are to dedicate our children to God's ways, to train them in the way in which they should go? The simple answer to that question is because our children belong to God. You see, beloved, God has established a covenant between us and our, with us and our children. He has claimed the children of believers as his own. We often talk about our kids, but in reality, they're not our children. Our children belong to God. He entrusts them to our nurture and care for some 20-odd years. 
Further, we need to have a Bible-based perspective on our children. Psalm 127 says that children are a gift of God, a heritage from the Lord. The word heritage is connected with the word inheritance. When we think of an inheritance, we often think about receiving money from family members who have died. But the Bible doesn't put a lot of value on money and possessions. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Can't take it with you when you die. The Bible gives a different perspective on what your real heritage is. Your heritage, what you leave behind when you die, is your children and grandchildren. You see, beloved, who our children are and how they live will have a profound effect on all those whose lives they touch. Our children, our young people, are the next generation of Christ's church. Will they, by God's grace, be faithful? Will they, by God's grace, live God-pleasing lives? Or is the next generation the one in which we as church will stray from God's ways? You see, beloved, the question I'm asking is this. What kind of heritage will you leave behind? Will your children and grandchildren know the Lord and love Him and walk in His ways? We read together from Judges 2. Speaks about how after conquering some of the Canaanite nations, Joshua dismissed the people so they could take possession of the inheritance God had given them. It tells us that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work the Lord had done for Israel. But then a new generation arose who did not know the Lord. They worshipped the Canaanite gods. They conformed with the world around them. How did that happen? Very easily. Parents didn't dedicate their children to the Lord. They didn't train their children to walk in God's ways. It happens easily and it happens quickly. Just look at the period of the judges. Israel would serve the Lord during the life of the judge who saved them. But when he died, they turned back to their sinful ways and they hardened their hearts against the Lord. Think of our more recent church history. The Reformed churches in the Netherlands were faithful, God-serving churches in the time leading up to the liberation in 1944. Yet when the church split, the synodical churches lost all restraint. They endorsed all kinds of ungodly practices. A generation ago, our sister churches in the Netherlands were faithful. Yet we had to break off fellowship with them because as a federation, they no longer walk in God's ways. And beloved, that could be us. If we don't train our children to know God and to serve Him according to His word. It's not like Christian parents deliberately set out to lead their children away from God's service. Our deepest desire is for our children to come to know the Lord and His redeeming work. It is that they come to love God and that they offer their lives as a thank offering to Him. 
Some of our most bitter trials in life involve seeing loved ones stray from God's service. Beloved, we all want our children and our teens to grow up and to devote their hearts and their lives to Christ. But the heart of a child is by nature foolish. Proverbs 7 verse 7 says, I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Children are by nature self-focused. For them, life is all about their needs and their desires. If left to themselves, children will do what pleases them. They need training. They need the instruction and the discipline of parents who love them to shepherd their hearts to guide them in God's ways. Deuteronomy 6 teaches us that the Lord is the only true God. It calls us to love Him with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our might. And then the Holy Spirit through Moses says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise. This was the command God gave to his people just before they entered the promised land. Ephesians 6 verse 4 shows how it applies to us as New Testament church. Paul instructs us to bring up our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. To know how to do that, we can look at our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus was never married, and as such, he never raised children. Yet Jesus did call a group of sinful men to serve as his disciples. He had to train them, to guide and direct them. It required much patience and love and care. Jesus shepherded the hearts of his disciples. He was so close to them. He walked and talked with them for three years of his public ministry. He called them his friends. He taught them what grace was, even before they understood what that meant. Jesus dedicated his disciples to God. He set them apart to be eye and ear witnesses so that they could testify of his grace and love for sinners after he went up into heaven. Now, beloved, I want to ask some questions to help us do some self-examination. Are we as parents intentional about training our children? Do you set aside time each day to eat together, to talk, to read the Bible, and to pray? Is your devotional time productive? Or is it just mom and dad droning on while the kids tune out? Do you talk about how the Bible relates to your lives? 
Are you teaching your children how to pray? How much time do we spend doing wholesome stuff together as family? Do you spend any time in God's wonderful creation? Do you open up other worlds for your kids by reading to them? By teaching them to enjoy reading? Do you play games together? Walk, fish, hunt, do other things that you find enjoyable? Or is most of your time spent in the artificial world of screens? When the TV is on, people don't talk. At least they don't engage in wholesome discussions. When kids or young people game, they're off in a world of their own. At times, it's nearly impossible to get them away from their screens. When we're on social media, our attention is on something or someone else. And we cannot meaningfully participate in family life. Screen time is breaking down our relationships as husbands and wives, as parents and children. Our Bible study meetings are often poorly attended. Loneliness is ever-increasing among us. Many people feel cut off from their brothers and sisters in the church because we spend less and less time with one another. I've been reading a book by Andy Crouch called The TechWise Family. He makes some suggestions to help parents prevent technology from taking over our families' lives. He notes the following. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us to bond with real people that we've been given to love. It's out of its proper place when we end up connecting with strangers at a distance. Technology is in its proper place when it starts great conversations. It's out of its place when it prevents us from talking with and listening to one another. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us acquire skill and mastery of areas like sports, music, the arts, cooking, writing, etc. When we let technology replace the development of skill with passive consumption, something has gone wrong. Technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate awe for the created world. For example, by watching an episode of Planet Earth. It's out of its proper place when it keeps us from engaging in the wild and wonderful natural world with all of our senses. Technology is in its proper place when we use it with intention and care. Andy Crouch goes on to make the point that technology doesn't stay in its proper place on its own. It invades our lives. It often enslaves us. And so, beloved, I want to ask you, does technology function in a wholesome manner in your home? Or has it intruded? Has it taken a dominant place? I'd like to challenge you to do an audit of the time you and your children spend behind screens. We need to be intentional about how we train our children Technology is rewriting our children's brain chemistry. 
It's changed the manner in which we live. And generally the changes are not for the better. Have you ever felt good after binging on Netflix? Do you feel satisfied when you finally pry yourself away from your computer after gaming till 2 in the morning? Are you fulfilled after spending a whole evening on social media? Joy in life comes from knowing God, from living in communion with Him. Contentment is found when we have real relationships with each other, when we're living in fellowship together. Screen time is never going to fulfill the deepest desires of our hearts. Beloved, if technology is getting in the way, turn it off. Ban cell phones from mealtimes. Collect them and set them aside when you're going to spend time together. The designers of computer games and the developers of apps are really smart people. They know how to hook you and how to keep you coming back. Take a stand. Shut your screens down. Get a real life. Adjusting to a life where technology plays a limited role is difficult, especially if we're enslaved to our devices. But give it a month. You'll discover there's a much richer way to live. Investing time in your family relationships Taking time to train your children will bring a rich reward. We'll deal with this in our second point, God's promise. In our text, God not only gives the command, train up up a child in the way he should go. God also adds a promise. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. As we discuss the second half of our text, we need to remember that it is a proverb. Proverbs are wise sayings. They convey general truths. They are not absolute. It is not true that every child trained to walk in God's ways will not depart from them when he or she is old. It's also not true that if there are major shortcomings in training our children in the ways of the Lord, that they will necessarily stray. When God gives us children, He entrusts them to our care for 20 or so years. We're called to bring them up in the fear of the Lord, to teach them to know God and all His mighty deeds, to help them understand the difference between walking in the ways of the Lord and walking in the pathways of sin. We're called not only to instruct and to discipline our children, but also to show them the way through our own walk of life. And beloved, if we're going to be honest about it, we fail in our parenting tasks in many ways. We don't always put in the time needed We're not always willing to engage in the difficult discussions that our teenagers need. We don't like having to draw that line and to enforce it through discipline. The fact that any of our children come to know God and that they commit their lives to His service is a miracle. 
It's a miracle of God's grace. By his word and by the powerful working of his spirit, God needs to enlighten darkened minds to draw his children to himself. God needs to open closed hearts to soften hard hearts. He needs to mold and shape our desires, our wills, changing our unwillingness to willingness, our stubbornness to obedience. God and God alone is the only one who can work conversion and new life into any of our children. When parents have children who love and serve God, it's easy for them to become proud and to think they've accomplished that through good parenting. And when parents have a child who turns away from the Lord and does not walk in his pathways, they often blame themselves and their shortcomings. Beloved, I want to caution you against that kind of thinking. God has chosen his elect from before the foundation of this world. He will gather his chosen ones into his kingdom and he will reject those who are not irrespective of anything their parents did or did not do. Jesus was God. He was perfect. He trained his disciples with patience and grace and love. And yet one of them, Judas Iscariot, turned away from Jesus and betrayed him. The point is that when our children come to know God and walk in his ways, this is a gift of God's grace. But what about our text? Doesn't it teach that if you train a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it? Don't we have a calling, a responsibility to dedicate our children to God, to shepherd their hearts that they may learn to know God and truly serve Him? And doesn't God promise a blessing when we do so? Yes, beloved, that's true. As a general principle, life teaches us that a child's roots have a big influence on his or her life. Things taught in the early years are often normative for how we live later in life. Sometimes hard for us to grasp how something ultimately depends on God to do the work, while at the same time we are fully responsible for what we are called to do. Think of the text from Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, where Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This text teaches God is 100% sovereign. He needs to work with his grace and spirit to bring us to salvation. Yet at the same time, we are 100% responsible. God tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to be actively engaged in the word, listening to the preaching, reading, studying, meditating, and praying. For God uses these means to work faith in us. Same is true of godly parenting. God commands us, train a child in the way in which he should go. 
Dedicate your children to God's service. Teach them who God is and the wonderful works he has done for us. Direct your children on the pathway of life by explaining the blessings of walking in God's ways and the troubles that come when we don't. You wouldn't voluntarily allow your two-year-old to touch a hot stove. You'd slap his or her hand and say, no, don't touch, because you want to protect him or her. Beloved, discipline your children when they disobey. Show them there are consequences to the bad decisions in life. Direct their hearts and their minds to Christ so they can find life and joy in Him. Model the Christian life by setting a good example in how you conduct yourself in all of life. And then, beloved, pray. Pray for God's grace and spirit to work in the hearts and lives of your children and teens. Pray that despite your weaknesses and shortcomings, God will nevertheless be gracious and merciful, that he will bring your children to a saving knowledge of Christ. Pray that God will protect them from the attacks of sin and Satan. Pray that when your children make mistakes, when they walk in sinful pathways, there may not be lifelong consequences from their actions. Pray that God will use those moments to teach and direct your children to live God-pleasing lives. Sometimes parents run stuck with their kids. And sometimes kids run stuck with their parents. Communication breaks down and frustrations rise. We can be so thankful that we're part of a communion of saints. Beloved, take an interest in the children and the young people of the church. Build relationships with your children's friends. Volunteer to drive for school events or to chaperone a class trip. Establish relationships so that when our teens run stuck, they have people other than their parents to talk with. Support and encourage our young people that they may learn to walk in God's ways. Beloved, one of the greatest blessings God could ever bestow on us is the gift of children. They truly are a heritage from the Lord. Most parents will testify about how awesome it is to be done with childbirth, to realize God has entrusted them with the gift of new life. Yet that euphoria soon changes into the hard work of parenting. We're called to provide for the physical needs of our children, food, clothing, and shelter. God calls us to also train our children to walk in His ways. Beloved, let us heed that calling. Let us be intentional in our parenting task. Let us bring up our children in the fear of the Lord. For then under God's blessing, they will learn to walk with Him their whole lives. That we may together share the blessings of God both in this life and in the life to come. Amen.